Good afternoon. My name is Shalisha Bano, and this is St. Augustine Sessions. For the Lincolnville series, we will be revisiting the history of Lincolnville and exploring many facets of African-American history, heritage, leadership, and influence. In addition, we will be learning about civil rights efforts that have not just affected Lincolnville, but the world at large. This podcast has been supported in part by the Lincolnville Museum, and we welcome you to its introduction. St. Augustine, known as the oldest city, contains a melting pot of cultures and is steeped in Native American, British, French, Spanish, Minorcan, and African American history. Proof of its cultural influence can be found in Victorian style homes, coquina architectural elements, landmarks such as the Cathedral Basilica and others. Lincolnville is an African American historic neighborhood located in St. Augustine. Formed by slaves that were freed after the Civil War, Lincolnville serves as a successful middle class community that continues to flourish. Originally called Little Africa, it was renamed Lincolnville in honor of lawyer and statesman President Abraham Lincoln. Freedmen and women purchased lots of lands and built homes and establishments from the ground up. Many African Americans served the community and public office and held prominent positions. However, those seats and positions of power were overturned in the early 1900s following the murder of Councilman John Papino. The St. Augustine record states, without a word of warning and with nothing on the surface to indicate the cause of his act, according to the testimony of those present, Marshal Charles Bennett drew a revolver at a meeting of the city council on October 30th, 1902 and shot Alderman John Papino. Immediately, the room was in an uproar and several of the members of the council made a hasty exit from the chamber, fearing perhaps other shots might be directed at them. Others remained and Alderman Blanchard assisted the wounded man from the room. Meanwhile, Papino was making a great outcry and went screaming through St. George Street, leaving a trail of blood behind him until he finally met a carriage that conveyed him to his home. This particular event marked the end of African Americans entering the elections, as the extreme violence and oppression of that particular time prevented African Americans from expressing their thoughts about their community or having their votes recognized or counted. Despite these facts, black excellence continued. Limitation on their rights as citizens and segregation did not stop them from undertaking several courageous feats, creating new opportunities through education and growing their influence through their business and eventually sports, music, and other endeavors. There is so much that we will be covering through this series, but first we will listen to the words of Executive Director Gail Phillips and Caroline Davis, Assistant Director at the Lincolnville Museum. This will help us to gain a better understanding of the history of Lincolnville and what the Lincolnville Museum represents for the community as a whole. Please place your headphones on and listen to some of the most influential women in the community. Thank you.
Hi, I'm Regina Gale Phillips. I'm the Executive Director for the Lincolnville Museum and Cultural Center in St. Augustine, Florida. I've been involved with the museum since 2015 as first a volunteer, later as a board member, and I've been the director since 2018, actually 2017. First idea, I think, of having a museum here started in the uh, late 1980s, and there was a museum here that had a brief lifespan, and then eventually a group came and formed the Friends of Excelsior in um, like 2003 is when they were first incorporated. And they were mainly educators, and the idea was to offer an African-American museum in this place to share mainly the civil rights history of the area and some of the other, other history of the community, the people and places. I think when they first opened it was called The Way We Were, which mainly had a lot of photographs of former educators and military and other community um, people that had shared their um, documents and photographs with the museum. So the museum um, started with a group of about 11, maybe 12 community leaders, mainly educators and then some other leaders from the community. Mr. Mason, Otis Mason, who was a former superintendent of schools, uh, was the original chairperson of the organization. And I think Mr. Motley, who had been a teacher, and his you know, wife, there were a lot of husband and wife teams, Miss um, Janie Price, um, some of the other you know, elders from the community. Uh, Mr. Eubanks, I think, might have been one of those original, Gerald Eubanks, original people. And they came together and they formed the Friends of Excelsior. And the museum was really heavy on Excelsior history because that being the first high school here for blacks in the city of St. Augustine. And they put together exhibits. The museum, it took them a little while, I think, to collect things because the first exhibit from what I've been able to find from news clippings and stuff was in 2007 when they actually opened the doors for the museum to the public. Our board members are supportive. Also, our community um, members, we have a lot of support within not just the Lincolnville community, but the St. Augustine community at large. Uh, when, when I first got involved, of course, my personal friends were also like their contributors to the museum and they gave. And so now that people are seeing what we do, we get anonymous donations from people in the community. We've had other people who stepped up when we were doing the um, preservation project that we had a lot of donations from local businesses like the Bailey Group and um, American Air Conditioning, I think, was one of the uh, other main contributors to the project. Most of our support, however, comes through grants that we write, and those grants help us with our operations in terms of um, being able to hire staff to do all the wonderful things that you see downstairs. So I did not really decide to become the director for this museum. I walked into the museum one day for the first time and looked around and said, wow, this place needs help. So from that point, I became a volunteer, and then I was unanimously elected to the board of directors. I found out about opportunities for grants to help to um, build capacity for the museum. I resigned from the board of directors, wrote the grant, 
got a grant from the Institute of Museum and Library Services, tried to hire a director, was unsuccessful, and I became the acting director even before I submitted the grant. And I've been the director ever since, but I was able with that grant to hire some other professional people to come in and work with me. And we've been just trying to grow the staff and um, the operations, streamline those, and do all the wonderful things that you see happening downstairs. So I don't know if I decided or if, you know, something else decided for me when I said, what can I do to help? It was just kind of like, okay, I'll show you. This museum is important because First of all, you know, it's the collection of, of, of not just memories, but history and preserving and protecting and promoting, perpetuating that history for the uh, future generations to come. So that's the real purpose behind establishing this African-American museum here in this city where we have some of the oldest history of African presence in what is now known as America. But it's important also to be able to show people, young people, old people, black people, white people, all people, that the presence of Africans in America does not start with chattel slavery. The presence of Africans in the world does not start with slavery. And I think when we can share those kinds of stories from you know some of the early history of, um, say, what... When, when Africans came to America in the, in the 1500s here to St. Augustine and showed that even before that they had established civilizations, that they influenced other civilizations like in Iberia and elsewhere, that people, especially young people, can see themselves as not just the subject of somebody else, but people who were intelligent, who were... Um, important in the history of the world, not just in American history, but in world history. So one of my favorite stories in this museum, uh, and it's a very small pop-up kind of exhibit, one panel about a man, his name was Satiki, who was renamed Jack Smith, and he was uh, enslaved eventually into the home of uh, Buckingham Smith. But the story, how I, when I came into this museum, there was this storyboard, and it was kind of a you know amateurish kind of storyboard on poster board, and it had pictures of this man, you know Buckingham Smith, and you know uh, his last will and testament, and how he left resources to this community, and and I said, why is this story in here? And so one of the board members said to me. Well, he did a lot of stuff for the community and, you know, mainly this one man that he left a lot of stuff for. So, you know, I made an assumption, oh, well, maybe it was his offspring, offspring and he left resources for them, which happened a lot, you know, during slavery that people fathered children and they left them wealth and they made, that's why we have HBCUs, they were created for the offspring of, of, of slaveholders um, and with black women. And so um, he said, no, because the man was much older. So it turns out, make a long story short, that this man was um, captured as a young boy somewhere in West Africa, um, bought over on a, one of the last slave ships after slavery was actually outlawed and ended up in St. Augustine. And he ended up um, as uh, 
it's hard for me to even say he was inherited by Buckingham Smith from his mother, and um, which is a very, you know, one of the sad parts of our history that somebody can own somebody and pass that person on to the next person. That's the part of history that we are sometimes unproud of, but it is still a part of our history. But to make a long story short, this man became a very influential person. This is Satiki was his name, given by his mother, who was renamed Jack Smith. Um, he made an impact on the city of St. Augustine. He was one of the first ordained black ministers in this community. He had the first meeting house of a black minister in this uh, community, which was a, a, a mixed uh, uh, congregation. And he became one of the people that influenced Buckingham Smith. So Buckingham Smith, when he passed on, he left the use of his property here to uh, Jack, who by then is an old man, but he uh, had they had planted orange groves together. And they um, he was able to utilize that for resources to live off of until he died. And I think he's in his late 90s when he passed away. In the late uh, 1800s, I think 1897 or something like that, and the foundation after after Buckingham Smith passed away because he died much earlier in 1871, his friends formed a foundation called the Buckingham Smith Benevolent Association, which still exists to this day, and it still offers scholarships to African American students and it offers support for seniors, you know, like um, in the community because their mission was to offer support for the poor and black community, mainly the aged and the young people of St. Augustine. So they have had three different facilities that were built in this Lincolnville community. One facility still exists even though they don't occupy it anymore. It's now the home of the Veritas School. But they used to be right next door to the Lincolnville Museum at the um, Buckingham Smith um, Nursing Home. The very first one was really over by where the Leitner Museum is. And it was called first Buckingham Smith and then later called the Buckingham Hotel, which burned down in 1914. So that was, to me, one of the most interesting stories because here's a man that was a pure African man captured as a young child, brought to America, and he adapted. And he adapted in a way that... You know, um, he became this trusted servant uh, of um, uh, Buckingham Smith's mother who operated a store uh, here on Charlotte Street in downtown St. Augustine. And he was the person that went to open the store and to close the store and help her to manage things after she was widowed from her husband who had died earlier. So that, even though it's a small exhibit, it's very meaningful to me and you know we also offer you know the book downstairs it shares the story about his life as well some of the programs that we're doing ongoing is we will have our next major project is going to be for Juneteenth which is going to be that weekend we are still putting together the particulars but you know I would like to ask people to just save the date and why is that important for what we do here. We're, we're in East Florida where Juneteenth was not an official happening here. We were part of emancipation, well, part of the earliest in emancipation as a matter of fact, that emancipation was read here in uh, the fall of 1862 and became effective on January 1st, 1863. But because Juneteenth is now a national holiday where we are celebrating emancipation of all black people from slavery in America, I think it's important that we do that 
that we celebrate it as a national holiday and also that we share the stories and how emancipation and Juneteenth are connected because I think that somewhere sometimes there's a disconnect that people don't realize it's the exact same thing it just happened two and a half years later for the people in Texas that were laboring under false pretenses that you know they were still enslaved and they were for all practical purposes so um, you know one of the earliest books that I read when I was still a teenager was Jubilee. I don't know if you guys have, if you've read that, but Jubilee is an Alice Walker book. It's about 700 pages, which are hard to put down. It talks about the whole, it's a saga about, you know, slavery and emancipation. And so I had an African-American studies teacher in junior college really a long time ago, and she recommended it. And I, as a teenager, I could not put it out. It's just that interesting. And, and of course, um, Margaret Walker, I'm sorry if I said Alice Walker, I meant Margaret Walker. She is, um, you know, she's a phenomenal writer, you know, and um, there's quite a bit that um, she, she deals with. It's a love story, it's a saga about slavery, it's like all these things wrapped into one, if you can imagine that, you know, a woman who was in love with a man who was a free man but went off and fought for freedom. Um, for you know everybody and then you know she stays there on the plantation and eventually he comes back for her but all the time she's staying there instead of leaving waiting for him to come back for her and her children and of course in the end you know it's it's an interesting story but I digress I'm sorry that's a lot more than what you asked me but so we will do a Juneteenth program we're going to have um you know some different kinds of events we'll have some lectures We'll have some um, music that will be um, uh, both some jazz and also most likely some Gullah Geechee, um, you know, performers. We will have um, a variety of things. And we're looking to host most of it at the World Golf Village here in St. Augustine at the Renaissance because our um, facility is smaller. And we want to build on that to um, next year where we do more of a citywide kind of event because 1964 was the year that Dr. King came here and um, 2024 will be a 60 year anniversary of all those things that happened in the summer of 64. So, you know, we have several people who will work with us. Um, I can't name them right now, but you know, we've gotten some verbal commitments from them to work with us on this program and we may start out a little bit small this year but we'll, it'll grow. We actually did a Juneteenth program for the first time last year because traditionally we just did emancipation programs here in Lincolnville because that's the history of Lincolnville. Emancipation starts you know with that and so we did one last year and we, we, it was very successful. We had a, just one a one day luncheon and it was sold out and so we're hoping that people will come and by having a variety of events and having a variety of people involved in it that it will you know bring the city together to share you know those things that we should be celebrating that all people should be free that all people should be celebrated because of who they are and the things that they've contributed to our society so we're excited about that the other program that we have that we will unveil kind of simultaneously with that is a Green Book project that we've been working on now for about a year and a half and it's a little different from a traditional Green Book where you know um, 
taking the green book, the travel log, which was only like had a very short, maybe 20 some year life from 1939, I think, to 68. But we're going to look at black businesses in St. Augustine over the centuries. So we have a few businesses that were documented that we know, some going back a couple to the 1700s, but several in the 1800s. And um, I think there were probably a, a few even earlier than that that were still, um, you know, you know, like the ladies who sold bread and, you know, different things, but they were business people. And, but a lot who had actually brick and mortar businesses, especially right after the Civil War, we had quite a few that were um, active here in this community, throughout the community. And we want to take a look at that so that people can see that um, where we are today is not necessarily the whole history of St. Augustine, that we've had a lot of uh, ups and downs in this city in terms of the history, just like history in general. But St. Augustine has been at the forefront of a lot of things historically that if you just looked at the last 10 or 20 years, you would not think that. But we were like on the cutting edge on a lot of things in terms of diversity and, you know, business people who were just like out front. And that's what we want to showcase in this exhibit that we'll be doing about our, uh, our great book project, which will be a little bit different. So you asked, what can people expect in this series about the Lincolnville Museum and Cultural Center? You can expect to find stories about 450 plus years of African presence here in St. Augustine, from Juan Girardeau, who was among the first explorers to come to um, the Americas here in Florida. You're going to find stories about other people who fought in various conflicts throughout the history of America. You're going to find about the lifeways of people of Lincolnville in general, the people and places that made this a thriving African-American community in spite of Jim Crow laws and segregation. You're going to find out a lot about the civil rights movements that happened here in St. Augustine because this was really a place most people don't realize because that history was suppressed for a long time, but this was a part of the... Um, civil rights movement that really helped to make a difference in the signing of the Civil Rights Bill of 1964. And those pictures that are iconic, that are downstairs in our museum that people know about, like the acid in the pool that people see, they don't even know that that happened in St. Augustine. So when people come into this museum and they say, I didn't know that happened here. It's like, yes, that's what you're going to learn. It's like this little tiny town was a place that was a focal point of international news during the civil rights movement before Birmingham, before Selma, it was in St. Augustine. So Dr. King spent a lot of time here. You're going to learn that there were other people who came through here that became world-class entertainers. And, you know, I won't tell you all of them, but, you know, you can learn about them um, when you come and as you go through this series. But you're also going to learn about how the community worked together and how women were a, a you know just an integral part of this community and how they gave their lives and so we have an exhibit called Women Who Made a Difference that shows you the different contributions of some of those women who were pioneers in this community and you know it's a lot of different stories that are here and we're just happy to be able to share some of them 
and I'm looking forward to everyone joining us and seeing what we do and um, how these stories are a part of American history, how they weave into the American timeline of history. Well, I love um, the community that I have found at the Lincolnville Museum. There's just so many people who are really interested in the history presented at the museum, and me as well. <laughs> so we just it's just a learning experience for everyone. It's exciting to have volunteers come in for the first time and learn about all the history of the community that they never knew, um, and even the guests as well. It's just a really great environment and a facilitation of learning. So I have a really fun story in that, to regards to that question. I actually started as an intern after I just graduated college, and I really didn't know a lot about the local history in St. Augustine. My first assignment was to do a virtual tour about Frank Butler. And now Frank Butler lives in Lincolnville on 87 Washington Street. And so I was like, well, I have to include pictures of the house that he lived in because it's still standing. And I go to this house and I realize that I had a friend in college who lived in that house. And I used to spend lots of time in that house. And to spend time in a historic structure and have no idea of the history that was present in the house really, really made an impression on me and really made me question, you know, what else do I not know? And the fact that the beach itself, I had been to the beach that Butler, Frank Butler founded multiple times, didn't know the history of the beach and why it was so important, and that, you know, it used to be a safe haven for African Americans, and that just really spoke to me. Um, so what I hope to achieve as assistant director, um, there's twofold. One part of it is just to learn how to be a good assistant director and to do my job as I need to because I'm a very young professional. I really um, grew into this position as I was originally the museum assistant and I kind of, due to some lack of staffing, got placed in this position. But I have tried to re rise to the challenge and I just hope to do a good job. <laughs> On the other part, one of my main priorities as an assistant director is really to help um, just make the museum a better place. We have, a, it was a volunteer-led um, institution, and I really want to get it to that next level of being a professional, um, like, staff-led institution with policies put in place, you know, things, um, event media procedures, volunteer policies, all the boring stuff, but I think that thing, those things are really vital to create a ongoing sustainable institution. I really enjoy working with school groups. I think um, that has not been something that I've had a lot of experience with because I started in 2020, which was, you know, COVID and no one was doing anything. Um, and then just this year, we've had lots of school groups come into the museum and just talking with them, interacting with them and presenting the history to them has really been inspiring. They have so many questions and they, it's just so important to share history with the youth because they're our future. So where to learn more about the museum? Um, you definitely want to check out our website. We have lots of resources and we have an event schedule. So that is the best place to keep up with what we are doing as far as exhibits and programming. We also have a really wonderful um, social media channel and YouTube channel. We actually have some 
um, videos that we've done, webinars in the past, those are all available on our YouTube channel. Um, and that's not necessarily something that you'd be able to find online anywhere. Um, as far as, you know, learning more about the history itself, we, I always recommend volunteering because it's a great way to come into the museum from a different perspective, not as a visitor, but as kind of like an internal um, volunteer and just learning about what it's like to work at a museum, but also what it's like to learn about the history as well. Thank you very much for listening in to the Lincolnville series. We hope that you will follow us on social media channels as well as Apple Podcast, Spotify, Amazon, Google, and iHeartRadio. Thank you.